Open your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read a whole lot of passages here. So beginning with verse 1, it reads, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit to speak in other tongues that enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their language being, being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthian, Met, Parthians, Medes, the Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pam, mm-hmm, Pamphylia. See, that's what happens when you read in your head and not out loud. Mm-hmm. Egypt and Parthia, Irene. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Skipping down to verse 21, it continues. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. And as you yourselves know... This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Skip down again to verse 36. It continues. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The the promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
This is the word of God. So what brought you to new community? Uh, This is a question that I ask um, everyone the first time I have a conversation with them at church, and I've been asking it for years. What brought you to new community? Now, I will confess that the initial reason why I started asking this question was not out of general genuine curiosity, but because I am awkward and I don't like greeting time. So it was something I could go to. What brought you to community? Well, over the years, I've heard lots of different answers, and I started to be intrigued. I found out that a whole lot more people than I would have ever guessed find churches on the internet. I never found a church on the internet. I always found a new church by, you know, asking someone that I met in a new town, what church do you go to? And then I'd go visit their church. And then if I didn't like it, I'd go to somebody else's church. You know, but that's how I found a church. A whole lot of people find churches on the internet. The other thing that I have learned asking this question over the years is that a whole lot of folk found new community because they were looking for a diverse church. In fact, there's some people, I remember talking to a guy here who said he typed in diversity, diverse church, into a Google search, and new community popped up. <laughs> like, well, that's awesome that new community popped up when you, you know, we were one of the first that popped up. I was kind of excited about that. But, you know, how cool is that, that someone sat in their home and diversity was a search criteria for them finding a church? Others of you may not have come here because you were looking for a diverse church, But there are a whole lot of people who get here, and that's the thing that compels them. That's the thing that makes them want to stay. Because they've not ever seen this kind of thing happen before, not in church. Diversity. Now, I think it's very easy to take a cynical view of this, and we can see it as sort of a fad that has invaded the church. You know, it's real big out there in commercials on Disney. Disney, I I love Disney. The world that Disney has created is just a special world where there's one of everything in every school and every friend group. And I mean, it's just a wonderful, happy little land. But, no, so you look out at the world and it looks like this is all over the place. Everybody wants to be, you know, multicultural, multiracial. And so you can easily think that maybe this has just finally found its way into the church. If you work in corporate America, you may have become very familiar with talk of diversity as you have diversity days and you have workshops to make you culturally sensitive and people talk about how diversity is good for the corporation and, you know, we want to reach out to various right? So we can be cynical and think this has just made its way into the church, something that we decided to do as Christians because we want to be attractive to those who are not Christians. We want to come here. Well, I want to say today that diversity is so much more. Just diversity, harmony, racial unity. It is so much more than just something that has slipped into the church. <laughs> it's so much more than just a fad that may or may not stick around. Should I wait? You can hear me in and out of the mic, right? Yes, okay. Diversity than a trend. More importantly, diversity is not new. God did not just decide a few years ago that, oh, look at that. That seems like a great idea. I should call some of my people to do that. That's, that's not how it happened. <laughs> this isn't something that infiltrated the church from the outside. I believe wholeheartedly 
that us witnessing to an unbelieving world as a reconciled people of God, reconciled across all kinds of lines, across racial lines, across social and economic lines, us being that kind of community, witnessing in that particular way, was God's plan from the very beginning. And I want to further submit to you that part of the reason why the church has, in some respects, lost its witness is because we have failed so miserably at this. All right, so let's go ahead and dig into this text. I'm going to read for you the first few verses again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Okay, so we'll pause here. So the they that this passage is talking about, the folk who were together, is likely referring um, to the 120 new converts or new believers that we learn about in chapter 1 them along with the disciples. So they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem People, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard the sound, a crowd came together. Skipping down to verse 12, it says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? How is it that we are hearing them speaking in our native tongue? So there's a whole lot going on in these verses, and I want us to break it down bit by bit. Um, The first thing that I want you to take note of is what happens in verse 1. Verse 1, this tiny little verse, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This tiny verse is very, very important because it gives perspective to what's about to happen. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, as I stated earlier, the they is the 120 folk, possibly, who had just become converts in chapter 1, but... What they are saying here, again, is a framework for what is to happen. We know from verse 5 that there are also people from all over the world. Jews from all over the world are there, gathered in this one place. The miracle that is about to happen, the work that the Holy Spirit is about to do, is not about bringing people together. Now, this may sound very crazy to you, especially in light of what I just said the sermon was going to be about. (laughs) But the people were already together. They were together because of a common occasion. They were here to celebrate Pentecost. This is one of the three holidays that Jewish people um, called pilgrimage holidays. It's times when they would come in from all over the place, from wherever they were. They would travel into Jerusalem to bring offerings, to celebrate. They were already together. They were together with a common purpose. And not only were they together, not only did they share a purpose, they shared a language. Most of the people who would have been present would have been fluent in the Greek language. This was, at the time, what English is today. It was the language of commerce. Most folk spoke it. It's at least their second or possibly third language. On top of that, they would have had another language in common. Many of them would have shared Hebrew as the common worship language. So here you have a group of people from all over the world who are together in one place with a shared purpose, with a common language, two maybe. They were already together. 
The miracle that is going to happen, the work that the Holy Spirit is about to do, is not about bringing people together. I want you to hold on to that. And we're going to go and look at verses 5 and 6. And it reads, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they, say, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Togetherness is not a miracle. People come together for a whole lot of reasons, often not very good reasons. Togetherness is not all that special. You can have all kinds of different people in a place who are in no way, shape, form, or fashion united or one. I like to call this multicoloredness. <laughs> you walk into a room and it just looks so pretty. Everybody is so different and unique and special. But togetherness often requires people to check parts of themselves at the door. God-ordained diversity does not require that. See, these people were together. They were in one place. They had a common purpose. They shared a language, and that's very, very, very important. They shared a language. See, most of those folk, when they came, they would have had to check that, you know, that home tongue, the stuff you speak at home with your mom and your daddy. No point in bringing that here. No one understands that. We speak Greek here. When you go to temple, we speak Hebrew there. That would have been the thing that united them, right? Togetherness is not a miracle. In addition to checking their language at the door, many of them would have had to check parts of their culture and certain cultural expectations at the door. Um, I remember the first time I led worship at North Park University. Does anybody know about North Park University? Kind of a few people. Yeah, I know John does. <laughs> so I went to North Park University. It's a small Christian liberal arts college. It is predominantly white. It was especially predominantly white when I was there. Very, very, very white. Um, and so <laughs> I started singing on the worship team because we were in, you know, trying to bring diversity to the campus and racial reconciliation. And so that was my effort. We were going to change chapel. And I will never forget the first time I led worship. Now, I went to chapel all the time. And I worshipped. You all don't know me, but in my formal life, I was a Pentecostal. So, <laughs> when I worship, it, I am oblivious to what other folk are doing around me. So I had spent a great many chapel services just going at it, just hands just gone. I'm in it. I stood up before the people to lead worship and realized that I was by myself. <laughs> I had never in my life up to that point seen people worship like, you know, like this, you know, just like this the whole time, just stand there just like this. There were people who would sometimes be like this. There were hands in pockets. I had no idea how to take it. And I remember being offended the first time, like, how dare they come into this space and not worship God? 
And it has taken me a very long time to understand that for some people, this is their posture of praise. And they are just as much worshiping God as I am, you know, when I'm, well, now I just do this. But before, as I was, when I, <laughs> when I would just be all into it, when I would do my dance and raise my hands and move about, they are worshiping in the same way. I'm not going to lie to you, I still struggle with that sometimes. But I believe you when you say to me that you are worshiping God. I'm going to take you at your word. <laughs> But I had to check that cultural expectation at the door. When I stood up to lead worship at North Park University, I could not expect that people were going to be raising their hands. I certainly could not expect that anyone was going to be speaking in tongues. No one was going to dance. No one was going to shout. I might not even see a hear, a hallelujah, a thank you, Lord, nothing. I had to check that expectation at the door. Togetherness. The togetherness that these people were experiencing is a homogenous, (laughs) a homogenizing, which is not a word, experience. Sometimes togetherness can cause you to leave those things of yourself at the door that are very important to you in order to fit in. Now, we were given it our all in North Park University, but we hadn't quite gotten there. And so many people had to leave themselves at the door in order to belong. And then all of a sudden, in this space where you have checked your language, where you haven't spoken it in a while or heard it in a while, you have checked your customs, and you're okay because you're expected to do that, right? You come and you're getting along, you're saying hi, seeing people you haven't seen in a while, enjoying yourself. It's a pleasant time, right? All of a sudden, you hear your language, your mother tongue being spoken. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to them? I imagine it as being what it might feel like to be out of the country for a while and you look across the room and find another American. And not only another American, but somebody who's from your town. If you speak another language, you might know exactly (laughs) what this feels like. If you're constantly in spaces where you have had to check that part of you at the door, this feeling is familiar. For me, it also feels like seeing a black face in a room when I've been, you know, (laughs) the lone chocolate drop and you look across and you're like, oh, yes, all right. We might not ever talk, but I know you're there. (laughs) It feels comforting. It feels familiar. It feels like a relief, like a reprieve. Can you imagine what they must have felt like? And so they turn around because they have to see where this sound is coming from. Who is speaking my language and what? Is that, is, that, are that, is that a group of Galileans? See, these folk were like the hicks. They were backward. They would have been speaking Greek and Hebrew with a thick accent. These were the folk who people talked about. And there they are speaking in each person's mother tongue. Um, anybody familiar with St. Sabina? Anybody heard of it? So my first time visiting St. Sabina, I think... I understand what these people felt like. I think they were completely disoriented. I went to St. Sabina, a Catholic church, an Afrocentric Catholic church. Now, if you are from Chicago, that may not be strange. I am from California. We don't have Afrocentric Catholic churches. I didn't know black people were Catholics until I got to Chicago. I'm just putting it out there. So, an Afrocentric Catholic church with a priest, Father Flager. Of course, he's a priest. He's a Catholic church. 
Father Flager is, for all intents and purposes, a white man, a very white man. If you saw him, you would not think he was anything other than a white man. So here I am in this Afrocentric Catholic church. So I'm already a little bit thrown because, I, you know, this is odd to me. And the man starts to preach. Now, there's been a mass. I'm very clear. It's a Catholic church. He's very obviously white. He's dressed as a priest. And he starts to preach, and he sounds like a black Baptist preacher. I cannot tell you how disorienting it was. I have no idea what that man said. I'm sure it was a powerful sermon. But I spent the entire time doing this. For real? He is white. Yes. It just was so, I I was just completely disoriented. I could not even concentrate or focus. How How can this be? I'm in this space. There are people speaking in tongues in the Catholic church. There's an, a white man with kente cloth around his neck, but he's got on Catholic priestly robes, and he's preaching like a black Baptist preacher. What I don't understand this experience. I imagine that this is what those people felt when they turned around and saw a Galilean speaking their tongue. You are not supposed to sound like that. <laughs> I'm not supposed to hear that in this space. It's disorienting. So they said, what does this mean? What is happening? Can anybody relate to this? I can tell you now that each of these people was witnessing a miracle. As far as they were concerned, this was one of the most amazing things they had seen up to this point. They were amazed. They were perplexed, and they wanted desperately to know, how is this possible? See, and catch this, these people who have been walking around for days, united with a common purpose, united with a common language, seeing folk that they you know, may have missed, that they liked, that they didn't see last year, and catching up, doing the things that they're doing, enjoying their time for the most part, all of a sudden are being unified by hearing different languages, different tongues that they recognize. That's the thing that makes people come together and say, whoa. That is the miracle. They were already together. They already shared a purpose. They already shared a language. And so when God decides to send the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit comes is to unite them, not with this common stuff, not with a togetherness that required them to check who they were at the door. God decided to unite them with their culture, unite them with their individual, separate, and distinct cultures. That's how the Holy Spirit decided to step onto the stage. And that is what caused people to say, what is this? What is happening? See, the miracle is not getting a whole bunch of folk together. The miracle is that in Christ we have made, been made one. We have been unified. And Christ's unity, Christ's oneness does not require you to check who you are at the door. That is the miracle. And there's something else that I want you to see here because it is so awesome. (laughs) If you 
are familiar with your Bible, then this story should sound a lot like another story where language is involved. The one other time where we see God doing something with people's language is the Tower of Babel in Genesis. And I want to read for you verses um, 5 and 8 of chapter 11. It says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And if you know the story, you have a whole bunch of people together with one purpose, speaking one language, and they decide, oh, I know what we can do. We'll build a tower, and we'll build it so high that we'll be able to get up to God. And so he comes down, and he sees the tower, and in verse 6 it says, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. So in Genesis, God scatters the people and confuses the language to make it possible, to make it impossible for them to accomplish the things that in their wickedness they want to accomplish. Now here in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and God uses language to unify the people so that in Christ all things will be possible for them. As a reconciled people in Christ, being special and unique in their cultural ways, they have been unified, they have been made one so that nothing will be impossible for them in Christ Jesus. See, this is why Jesus Christ was able to say to his disciples, and when I go, I will send one who is more powerful than I. And there will be, you will be more powerful than I. You will do greater works than I did. In Christ, through the Holy Spirit, unified as a group, a body of believers who are loving one another across racial lines, who are serving together, who are bearing with one another, who are struggling with one another. In Christ, we, us, this group of people, we are able to accomplish, to complete the work that Jesus Christ began. And what is that work? That work is to be a witness to the reconciling power of God. That's what we've been called to be, witnesses. The Holy Spirit was given to us so that we could do the work of God, so that we could witness God's love, we could witness God's power, we could witness God's reconciling love to the world. In Acts chapter 1, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when I last preached about the Holy Spirit, I said that the Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus was to the disciples. The Holy Spirit sort of picks up Jesus' ministry to us, empowering us, teaching us, strengthening us to go forward and do the things that we've been called to do. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? By allowing us to do this. (laughs) By allowing us to live in this kind of community. By being a reconciling power among us. See, when the Holy Spirit comes, the people witness the oneness that we have in Christ. Far from a superficial togetherness, they witness oneness. And what is the response? Because this is the whole point. What is the response? They don't walk away and say, wow, that was kind of cool. They say, what is happening? We must know. That witness 
opened the door for Peter to give one of the most compelling presentations of the gospel that I have ever heard. He stands before that crowd and he is able to connect for them how Jesus Christ is the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He's able to explain to them who this Savior was and what he intends to do and wants to do in their lives. He presents this gospel to them and what happens at the end? 3,000 were added to the number. See, it's important diversity, racial reconciliation. These aren't just cute little things that we get to do, you know, in our 20s and our 30s and we can say we did it. It's not just a fun little thing. Oh my goodness, I love it when I get to hear Spanish songs or gospel. That's so cool. That's not what this thing is about. As much as you might like to hear Spanish songs or gospel, or for me, you know, I like a hill song on occasion, but that's not what this is about. What we do in this place is powerful because we are witnessing to the power of God. That is the thing that people on the outside look at and say, oh my gosh, what are they doing? When we love one another in this place, when we raise our children together, when we bear with one another, when we struggle with one another, because this is not easy, right? When we stick in there, when we are misunderstood, when we offend, when we are offended, and time and time and time again, we come back together and say, I'm in it for the long haul. When we do that in a space that looks like this, people see that and are as perplexed as those folks were hearing their mother tongues by Galileans in this place where they're not supposed to be hearing their mother tongues. It is disorienting, it is perplexing, and it will make people say, what is that? This space opens the door for us to be able to present the gospel because we are living witnesses, testimony, testimonies to the gospel. This is the good news. This should not happen. (laughs) And it's hard. It is hard. (laughs) I've been at this thing for 11 years and I cannot tell you how many times I have been done. Like, I ain't got to take this. (laughs) I like black churches. I can just go to a black church. (laughs) I know worship will be the way I feel it'll be. It's hard, but we stick to it because it's not something that's cute. It's not a fad. This is a calling. This is who we as a church have been called to be. Those who were there, those who heard this message, accepted it, were baptized and became believers. They were welcomed into this family of God. All of these people who had been asked to check who they were at the door were invited into the kingdom of God and the invitation came in their own mother tongue. That is a miracle. And it is not a coincidence that the Holy Spirit decided to reveal himself in this way. The Holy Spirit could have done a whole lot of things to catch people's attention. It was not necessary to use language to catch people's attention. That was intentional. Because when we are who we are, when we bring all of ourselves into this space, it is a powerful witness. As Pastor David was um, reading the verse from 1 Corinthians about being weak and talking about us being weak and God's strength being revealed in our weakness, um, the Holy Spirit spoke something to me about why this was so. If you have been doing this thing for any amount of time, you know that some of the weakest moments you will ever feel is when you are in a space that looks like this. When you are trying to love folk who don't look like you, (laughs) 
who don't have the same background as you, it is difficult. It, you don't have the same shared language, the same shared history, the same shared, you know, things that you would normally take for granted, you have to explain and explain and explain again. Questions that you think are quite ignorant, you have to explain and answer and answer again. And you have to ask questions that you think are ignorant. Like, you feel like this is, I shouldn't ask this, but I, I really want to know, so I'm going to go ahead and just step out there. It's tiring. It's exhausting. And you constantly feel like you're failing. You constantly feel like you are offending, like you're not quite getting it right. It does not feel good all the time. Some of the weakest moments you will ever feel are being in a space like this. I shared that in my formal life, I was a Pentecostal. <laughs> One thing that I have struggled with being a part of new community has been worship. How do I worship? How can I worship in the way that is authentic to who I am? I was the girl who always sat on the edge because I just couldn't promise you what was going to happen. I might need to run. I might need to dance. <laughs> when they, well, no, they don't say that here. So we would have an, ex <laughs> an expression in, in the churches that I would go to. You say, you know, Hey, don't be worried about your neighbor, right? You got to get your praise on. That was me. Excuse me, neighbor, I got to worship. And so now I find myself in this space where my loving response to my brothers and my sisters who might be taken aback by me running up and down the aisles is to contain that. And I've struggled with that over the years. So how much do I contain? Is that okay? Should I just do it anyway and then we all deal with it? Am I checking who I am at the door? Is, is, am I doing the thing that what I believe God-honored diversity doesn't call me to do? I've wrestled with that. It's hard. I felt weak at times. And one thing that God has comforted me with is, no, I'm not checking who I am at the door because my community demands it. If I ran up and down these halls, I know some of you would be extraordinarily uncomfortable. But you would love me. <laughs> I'm convinced that you would bear with me. You wouldn't look at you. I don't think most of y'all would leave the church because Michelle ran up and down the hall and you ain't never seen that before. I check that part of me not out of a demand or constraint that is placed upon me by this community, but because I love you and I don't want you to be uncomfortable. And I know that some of you who would much rather stand there and sing your song like this, raise your arms on occasion. I know that some of you have had to learn how to deal with Kelly saying, stand up, lift your arms, say hallelujah. That's uncomfortable with some of y'all, but you, you stand up and you raise your arms and you say hallelujah, not because you are forced to, but because you love me. And because you know that being in this community means that we all have to give and take and stretch and we grow and we change and we will change and we will start to be conformed to each other's image. We'll start to look like one another and that's okay. That's okay, because we're doing it out of love for one another, not out of a demand. But in those spaces and in those times, it can be, you can feel weak. When you don't want to lift your hands anymore, when I don't want to stand still anymore, you can feel weak. But the beauty is that in that moment, God's strength, God's power is made manifest and is revealed when we love one another in a space that looks like this, people get to see a whole lot of weak, broken folk relying on a powerful, strong, awesome, and mighty God. 
Because this does not happen outside of the power, the might, and the awesome loving will of God. That's why this thing is important. Now, there's some good news here. The good news is that the Holy Spirit is the one at work. The Holy Spirit is the one at work. The Holy Spirit is the reason we look the way we look. The Holy Spirit is who draws people to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is who softens hearts. And I think this is why we get this little blurb in verse 13 about the folk who decided these people were drunk. I'm going to read this to you. It says, but some mocked them and said, these must have had too much wine. Now, I have to say to you, this is a hilarious accusation. They have had too much wine. Keep in mind, they are not speaking the kind of tongues that are unintelligible, right? They're not speaking the kind of tongues I would be speaking if I were to break out into tongues right now. They're speaking languages. Like, people understand them, right? They're, not, it's, they're speaking languages. I don't know about you, but I have never experienced nor witnessed alcohol making someone speak a language they did not previously know. It's a bizarre thing to say. Like, why, are they, why do they think that the people are drunk? I just, it's strange. <laughs> so why does Luke bother to include this part of the story? I think that what Luke is doing here is pointing us to this truth that what is happening is happening because of the Holy Spirit. See, it's really easy for us to read this story, and perhaps, you know, obviously it was the Holy Spirit who gave them the different tongues. But once Peter starts speaking, it's easy to believe that, oh, well then, you know, and Peter took it from here. And isn't that how we live our lives, right? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me the thing that I needed. I got it from here. I'll go ahead and do what I need to do. That's how we think about this. I think that's why a lot of us are afraid of evangelism. Because we say, thank you, Lord, for calling me, drawing me, softening my heart, and bringing me into this body. Um, I guess I'll go out and start trying to get some other people. Uh, yeah. We think that we have to do it. And so we could read this passage and get real intimidated because, you know, the Holy Spirit moved in this powerful way. But then, yeah, Peter, he's so eloquent, and he could come up and he could give that story. I could never do that. No. The reason why people received what Peter said is the same reason why people were able to speak in tongues that were not their own. It was the Holy Spirit. So the people who accused folk of drunkenness, you know, that just, they hadn't had that heart change yet. That is ridiculous. And obviously, if you try to contend against that kind of ridiculous in your own strength, you will fail. <laughs> it is the Holy Spirit that does the work. The Holy Spirit is who drew us into this place. The Holy Spirit is who softens people's hearts. The Holy Spirit is who causes people to respond to the miracle that they see when they witness us loving one another. It is the Holy Spirit from start to finish. It is nothing that we do or are called to do in our own strength. That is the good news. Because it could be real, real intimidating to think that by going to this church, you know, when I love people who don't look like me, you mean that's a testimony to God and folk might be attracted to it and want to know more? <laughs> that can feel intimidating. But know that it is the Holy Spirit at work in every step. And it's good news because we can rest. <laughs> this is hard work. It's hard work even with the Holy Spirit. It feels tiring. You cannot do it by yourself. 
We will never have genuine and authentic relationships with one another if we are not daily, moment to moment, reminded and desperate for the Holy Spirit. That is why we can exist in the way that we exist. And that is the power and the good news. <laughs> I tell you, Jesus Christ is awesome. You call people into a space and then you say, you know what, just rest because I'm doing the work. I've called you to be my witnesses. I've called you to show who I am to the world, but rest because I'm doing the work. You can't do it. I do it in you. You just have to let me rest, breathe. Worship team, you can start making your way back up. I know that there are some of us in this place who are tired, who are absolutely tired. And there may be some folk who are right at that done mark. Again, like I said, over the past 12 years, since the day I stepped foot on North Park's campus and started with this whole thing to the day I stand here today, there have been many moments in my life where I have said, I am done. I don't want to anymore. And I ain't got to. I know that there are people in this space who are tired and who are done. And so my prayer for you today is that you would be encouraged. God is doing the work. God has called you to this place. God has drawn you here. And God will sustain you here. I also hope that you will be encouraged by the fact that when you are at your lowest point, when you are tired, when you are done, when you are utterly weak, that is when God can show out the most. Some of us are tired because we've been trying to do it all by ourselves. We believe in our heads that this is something God wants us to do, and like most things in our lives, when we think God wants us to do something, we decide we're going to just do it. So the good news for you today is that that is not the call. You need to rest and let the Holy Spirit continue to work in you. Those relationships that you have been trying to build that seem like they are never going to get built. <laughs> the conversation you keep having and you're tired of having. The explanation you keep having to give that you are just tired of giving. If you rest, the Holy Spirit will move. And you will be amazed at what he does. I have friendships today that I absolutely did not believe, think, could not have fathomed I would have. There are people in my life who I genuinely love, who I never, I didn't like, to, just, to be quite honest. <laughs> there are folk when I stepped foot on North Park's campus in 2000 that I thought were racist, who are now some of my best friends. The Holy Spirit will do a work in you that you will be blown away by if you would just rest. We have been called into this place. We have been called to love each other, the whole of who we are. We have been called to bring our whole selves to the table because when we do that, we witness the power of Jesus Christ. When we do that, the Holy Spirit moves in powerful ways. People are drawn to God. That is the call. So if you are here and you are worn out, if you are here and you feel like you are done, as the worship team is playing, I want to invite you to come before the cross. I want you to just let them minister to you. And 
as they minister, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. You might need to pray and talk to God about some things. You might need to just listen and hear God talk to you about some things. But I invite you to come at the cross and rest and be ministered to. Because we have to be in this thing for the long haul. It's way too important to throw in the towel and walk away. And if you try to do it in your own strength, you will throw in the towel and you will walk away. So I invite you to rest. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, I thank you that you are such a wonderful God. That you have called us into this place, and that you have set up a law that says, When we are weak, your strength is made perfect. I thank you that, in spite of our nature to do it ourselves, in spite of our tendency to want to leave you at the table and pick you back up when we need you or we think we need you again, you have put into motion. A law that says when we are weak, your strength is made perfect. You know us, God. You know we will try to do it ourselves. And so you said when you burn out, when you can't do it anymore, my strength is made perfect. God, my prayer today is that as we kneel before this cross, as we stand and worship you, I pray that your strength would be made perfect in this place. I thank you that when I stand here and look out at the people hearing this message, they don't all look like me. I thank you for the journeys that you have taken all of us on to bring us to this place. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have empowered us to love one another. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have empowered us to stay in it to bear with one another, to struggle with one another, to grieve and to mourn with one another, to celebrate with one another. I thank you that we get to raise our children in a space that looks like this. God, you are awesome. You are awesome. You are great and greatly to be praised. And I thank you that you have chosen to let our lives be a testimony to that greatness. God, I pray that you would perfect your strength in this church. I pray that we, a bunch of broken, weak people, would be made strong in you. God, I speak a spirit of rest and peace over each and every person in this room who is tired and who is done. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. I ask, Lord, that you would minister to them. I pray that when they get up from this cross, when they get up from their chairs, when they walk out of these doors today, that they will feel your presence in a way they haven't felt it in a long time. And their commitment to this calling will be renewed. Their passion will be restored. And God, we will give you all of the honor and the glory and the praise because you alone are worthy. So we commit ourselves to you. We commit this community to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
community go from this place knowing that you serve a great God. I encourage you this week to live the kind of life that will cause folk to be perplexed, will cause folk to say, what is that? And know that the Holy Spirit will work in you. So be on the lookout for opportunities to share who this great God is that you serve. Be blessed.